Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what brave feminine leadership means and does it need to change? All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates. Melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. Welcome to our interview series on Brave Feminine Leadership. I'm excited to have Sally Hayden join this morning. Sally, wonderful to have you as part of the conversation. It's great to be here. Hey, Melissa. Okay, so um, I'm just going to quickly share with the audience some of your background, Sal, before we get going. So Sally is a digital and customer experience leader. She led the digital sales and service transformation for Telstra, has led teams of over 11,000 people across three countries, Sally has um, always played active diversity and inclusion roles, including as a member of the Gender Balance Council for the Do Telecommunications in Dubai. Sally's had a global career working across the UK, Australia, India, the Philippines, and has very recently returned from Dubai. She's a proud mum of two boys, Buddy and Kip, married to Matt, and has Ned, her Yorkshire Terrier, who's also been part of all those global adventures. And Sal, I have to ask, has Ned made it home yet? Not yet. <laughs> so he's almost home. He's uh, living it up on the palm in Dubai in an amazing dog hotel. <laughs> but he'll be back at the end of the month. So it's very, very fresh for you landing back in Australia. How long have you been back for now? Uh, so it's now five weeks. So two weeks in hotel quarantine, um, a little bit of freedom, a little bit of a lockdown, and now we're, we're back out again some sort of freedom again in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. So fantastic to have you, as I said, as part of the conversation. So thank you for joining us. I might just hand over to you and ask you to share a bit more about your background and, and why you are who you are. Sure. Um, so I've just returned from heading up um, digital and customer experience for Do as the Executive Vice President. But maybe I will start from the start. <laughs> so I did a... a a commerce degree at uni and um, I had a part-time job that was in a chicken shop and then I got offered a job in a call centre as my part-time job and I thought wow amazing it'll be clean <laughs> it was great money um, so I did that while I was at uni and just I really enjoyed it uh, talking to people and um, that was a great job and when I finished they offered me this was back in the day where good sales people used to get promoted so if you could sell you must be able to lead yep. so they offered me a job as a team leader um so I thought yep I'll do that I had no idea how to lead people <laughs> um they transferred me to the Sydney office and I found myself leading 28 salespeople of varying ages and it was really it was pretty daunting um really daunting to be honest and I had so many sleepless nights thinking what do I know? You know, what do I know about leading people? You were really pretty young as well, weren't you, at that point? Yeah, so this is like uh, probably 20, 22 at this yeah. stage, 21, yeah. maybe, yeah, early 21. Um, so really young. And I just, I remember having this sort of light bulb moment one night when I was really struggling, thinking, well, I know how to sell. I can teach these people how to sell. That's what I'll do. I mean, basically coaching. I didn't even know the word for, for coaching in those days. And that's sort of what I did. So I really focused on making my people the best that they could be in my team. 
and I was really successful. So I started getting, I got bigger and bigger roles. Um, and at 23, I was leading a, a contact centre of an outsource provider um, of 800 seats, lots of different big, you know, big name customers and clients, um, which was, I sort of just had this crazy courage. Um, and I look back on it now, it's probably youth. Um, but I found myself, I had three peers, there was four of us who split up the, the contact centre. Um, they were all men. Um, all a very different life stage to me. So most of my friends were sort of still in uni, very, you know, entry-level roles. Um, and they were middle-aged men with families. Um, and so I think that is probably where a couple of things happened for me. I, I definitely started my imposter syndrome. Um, and I can talk about how that sort of evolved throughout my career. Um, and I just, I, I knew if I worked hard, I could do it. But I always felt I had to work harder because I was coming from a different, I didn't have their experience. And I, yeah, so I, those two things really played out for me. And I didn't really have a voice um, in those days. I did with my team and I knew I was really confident there, but sitting at that table, I didn't have a voice, um, which is really interesting. Um, so I did that um, and learned sort of how to have a work persona and a home persona. And my work persona was just not me. Um, okay, so was... let's stop on that because I think that's really interesting. What was um, well, what was work, Sally? So work, Sally was serious, um, and in, in her spare time, she played golf. I had never played oh. golf in my life, <laughs> but they talked about it all the time, and I felt like I couldn't say, "Well, I went to a nightclub and sang karaoke on the weekend." Like <laughs> it just didn't feel like something I could be. So I pretended and I learnt really, I learnt lots of phrases you could say about golf. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I had a, I put on a, I put on a persona when I went to work so for a long I, time. I just need to check in with you. Have you ever played golf since? Um, I had golf lessons. My husband gave them to me very early on in our relationship and I hated it. <laughs> I've played putt-putt, mini-golf. <laughs> yeah, so it's not, like, it's not like just pretending to like golf at a certain point ever developed into anything uh, no. No. Okay. No. Good. So we've it let hasn't. golf go then, have we? Yes. <laughs> but I thought I, I very much for a, a long time had this work persona. Um, but, you know, I was successful and that hard work and I was going to work at it um, was really helping me. I then I left that role and actually left Sydney and went, I went backpacking with my best friend. And then we arrived in London and started working again. And this is sort of where I really I started just getting bigger um, more more broader roles. Um, I was, you know, responsible for the always contact centres were part of what I did. But then I sort of moved into customer service strategy um, and supporting customers. And I, I I look back on that time, and I mean we we're having the most amazing time, you know, travelling Europe on the weekends. It was fantastic. But I just I was kind of just chasing bigger and bigger roles. So if I look at my CV, every two years I was moving and moving up and up and up, and it was amazing learning. Um, really amazing, but I still had this compartmental work and home self. And then I had, I, after 10 years of that and a little stint in India, I decided I had to come home. I, my sister was having babies and, you know, you want to be part of um, your family's life. So I moved home and I started at Telstra. And this is sort of where I, I feel like I grew up in the workplace. So I started um, it was sort of a senior general manager type role. Most jobs at Telstra are pretty big because of the size and the scale of it. Um, so I was loads of people. I think I had a team, maybe about 400 people, and I was running all of Telstra's complaints. 
Um, and I just started to, I, I was so ambitious and this corporate place was going to develop me. I could see this ladder <laughs> of bigger and bigger. And I just had my eye set on, I love call centers. I love customers and leading people. I'm going to, I'm going to climb this ladder. So I set about it and I was ambitious and successful for a number of years. Um, when I think back about it, you know, I must, sometimes I must've been pretty hard to work with in a team because I was just super ambitious and, my goal was to run the biggest contact centre in Australia, and that was Telstra. So I was going to be the executive director of contact centres. And I was being successful. I was, you know, I was in my space where I loved and I was, you know, I got there and I, I was promoted to sit on the leadership team, not as an executive, but alongside all these peers who are executives. Um, and I still hadn't found my voice. That was pretty daunting to me. I mean, they were all men. Um, and along, for a long time, most of the people in my teams and um, around me had been men. Um, and then I got, the, I got the opportunity to act. The director left and I got the top opportunity to act in the role for a pretty good amount of time, six to eight months. Uh, and I was good at it. I was successful. We made some big changes and I just, I just thought it was mine. You know, I had it in the bag. Why wouldn't you give it to me? And I didn't get it. Um, and it was a it was a really, really tough time for me. So now I look back on it and it was probably the best thing that could have happened. But I mean, at the time, it did not feel like that. So I was like, well, I can't go back and report to this person who has the role that I think I can do better than. What will I do? And so, I mean, Telstra is a great place and they were very supportive of me. So um, this new leader had come in to disrupt the business from a digital perspective. He needed someone who knew Telstra, our customers, um, and wanted some help to set up the digital division. So this is Gerd Schenkel who comes in. Um, why don't you go and work with Gerd and help him do that? And so I sort of was begrudgingly went over there and, you know, licked my wounds for a while and, you know, I was there, but I wasn't totally invested. And a couple of things happened. So, um, there was probably two really pivotal moments. I got this message on LinkedIn from someone I had no idea who they are, but I'm really grateful for them. And the message was pretty blunt and it said, who are you to be leading? I just updated my profile. Who are you to be leading uh, Telstra, one of Australia's biggest companies, digital transformations? Where'd you, where, did, where did you get this experience? And, you know, at first I was a bit shocked and then I was like, hang on, yeah, <laughs> this is... um." this is an amazing opportunity and I hadn't seen it for, for that. So I kind of, I, so my eyes were open and I just then started to have this amazing learning. I was learning digital, like digital tools and agile ways of working and just having a great time learning. And I hadn't really been learning for a long time. So that, that changed me and I can talk about how, but the other piece was I found my voice. So I found this, I was sitting on this team and everybody else was external on this leadership team and I realised the role I had to play. I loved Telstra, I loved our customers and so I found my voice. Um, I found that if I didn't say something to inject the customer or what I knew for people at Telstra into that conversation, I wasn't doing the things that I love to service and so I found my voice mm -hmm. and I really found it in that team. <laughs> Probably sometimes they wish that I, you know, I might not speak up so much. Yeah. But I really started to learn the value that I bring um, as me, not as, um, you know, the pretend executive who plays golf on the weekend, just as someone who really cares and gets what our customers need and um, truly knows the people who work at Telstra and serve our customers. 
And so that was just like such an amazing opportunity out of something that I thought I would never have gone after. So then I sort of thought, well, what do you do after this? <laughs> you know, I just want to learn now. Like call centres, and, and I will always love my time in call centres, customers and people are what, you know, and leading people are what make me me. But I was just like, what else can I learn? And, you know, started to get really hungry for that. I then um, I went and had a baby, my first son, which was great. Um, I was still pretty ambitious, and I still am, but I remember getting ready to come back to the office and I was going to come back part-time. I wanted to do that for a little while. And my first thought was, how am I going to hide this part-time work? And i that's what I thought I should be doing because yeah, yeah. there was no role models around me that talked about um, working part-time or that did or it just wasn't part of the conversation then. And this was seven years ago. Um, and then I actually just had this thought, well, you know, what if I don't hide it? What if I actually am just, you know, me and talk about being a mum and talk about what's important and say, no, I can't tomorrow because that's my day with my son. Mm-hmm. I did. Um, and that, like, it almost, um, there's almost a groundswell of, of people gravitating towards me, wanting to talk to me about their stories and and having help. And I sort of found this leadership position in the company, like an enterprise leadership position around uh, diversity. Yeah. Um, and then I so then I got actually got asked to head up the diversity council for retail and jumped at it. Had no idea what I was doing, but just knew that, you know, if you really listen to people and if, try and create a place at Telstra that allowed people to be themselves. Because I I had sort of had that personal learning and just saw how powerful it was. So that was a fantastic piece for me. And I, I loved every minute of that. And we did some great stuff. But it's funny when you stop fixating on growing up this ladder, you start to get these opportunities. And I, I think that's a really important lesson. So I think if you're more worried about um, what you can learn and giving back and doing a really great job rather than sort of chasing the ladder, I think these things come to you. There's a few caveats in that, but I got, so I ended up getting the um, executive position heading up all of the small the one, business. The one that you had originally wanted. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and I thought, like, I had lots of advice. You know, people were sort of like, don't go back into the contact centres, but I did it and I, it was great. And I, and I, I would have done it in a way that was just so much more impactful than I would have if I hadn't have had that learning experience. Yeah. And so I was great at that. And then I got all the contact centres for service. So for Telstra, that's pretty big. Uh, and the opportunity to move to the Philippines, which I did. Um, that was where I was heading up the 11,000 staff across three countries and just uh, had such a great time doing it. But also just sort of kept that technology and that passion for learning. And I totally approached it differently. Um, and so then... We might sorry. stop there. Yeah. So we might stop there, Sal, because I know there's your next journey after that is Dubai and there's a lot of things I want to ask about that. But even if I go back then as you navigated your way through Telstra, what what did it feel like when you talked about the fact that you never had your voice and you were often the only female in the room? How, when you say you didn't have your voice in those situations, like what did that look like? Yeah. So um, it meant that I, I had something really important to say and I could see either a conversation or a decision that I didn't felt f- feel was 
was right for whether it be our customers or our people in the organisation. Um, or I just had a different way of thinking about it, but I never thought it was my place to say it. Um, and so, I mean, what... Did you try to say it? Yeah, like, if, yeah, I definitely did because it was always my development goals. You know, we need you to speak up and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I did. And a lot of the time um, I felt like I wasn't understood or, or definitely some, if a man said my point, <laughs> they would listen. Um, I want to ask about that. (laughs) And that's really fascinating. I don't know whether you've had a chance to see Annabelle Crabbe's series yet, Misrepresented. Yes. Um, And the the term gender deafness, which is exactly that around you've tried to put your point on the table. It either hasn't been heard or or listened to, probably more to the point. And And then a male puts it on the table and it's picked up. So would that, that happen to you? Oh, definitely. A, a lot of the time. There, and there was a little piece, I think, where maybe the way I voiced it was different, but no one was curious to actually understand. You know, there was no curiosity there. What do you mean, Sally? It was deaf, deaf ears and then the same point. And so as I, I kind of went through this development internally and um, would start, I would, I would call it out. This was later. I would start to call that out. But I didn't do it from a good place. Like I learned how to do that tactfully. Um, you know, a lot of the times I, I said really clunky things like, well, uh, did I not just say that? Yes. Did anyone, like, did anyone just hear me say that? Like, and which is a little bit confronting, I think, when you're, I think probably now it tells you to be fine to say that. They've come such a long way, but it was a little bit confronting. And I learned, I sort of learned how to actually have a voice in that way to make a difference because I felt really responsible particularly when I got that diversity leadership role. How would you do that now? How would I? Yeah, in that situation. Um, so a lot of the times now I can I see it happening for others. So a lot of the time I would say we haven't actually heard from female. Um, can we just explore that, that point a little bit more before we move on? And I sort of would facilitate that. Uh, and I would talk to the person afterwards one-on-one who I think didn't, didn't hear. Um, and I also would do, particularly if it's in my area, um, I would spend a lot of time with leaders ensuring that they understand how to how to hear from everybody in their team, how to make sure everyone has a voice. And it's different because not everyone can speak up or wants to speak up. So how do you find a way to lead that enables everybody's voice? Yeah. Um, so I do spend a lot of time doing that, but I would do it one on one on one basis. Now, um, that's that's my learning really. Um, but certainly role model, the way I, you know, what I see happening and allowing people to have a voice that may be getting spoken over or may not have found the right words yet or, you know, that that type of thing. Have you ever, um, and I know you referenced a couple of times the fact that you've um, always been ambitious, did you ever run into any of those sort of double binds that are placed on women sometimes? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I had a lot of feedback, particularly early on in my career. Um, we're not all, not everyone is competing with you. You know, you're not, you don't always have to be to win that type of feedback. And it, I never wanted to win against people. I always wanted to um, to win for our customers and, and our results. So that used to really, really grate on me. Um and I saw, so I was a little bit later in my career, I was on a peer review or reviewing um, people's um, 
performance. And this lady, and I, I think she's amazing to this very day, just said, I just think we should just, just take a step back. We've talked about three, three men and two women, and we've said the same thing about the women, that they are too, they're too, um, one was brash, one was too aggressive, and one was too, too competitive. And, and what did we see? Did we see the same traits in the men, but they hadn't seen them as negative? Mm-hmm. So I definitely had that for a while, but I, I think there was something in the feedback. Like I was just super, super ambitious and hadn't found a way to sort of temper it with um, other <laughs> leadership traits. But I don't think I was, I don't think it was more than other men that I worked alongside. No, absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, one of the one of the sort of question marks I have in terms of exploring this series as well is is not just the gender perspective, but leadership broadly. And the fact that I think, um, you know, many people are so busy doing, doing, doing in terms of ticking off the tasks and achieving the outcomes and things like that. Yeah. But don't spend enough time thinking about who they are being as an actual leader. It sounds like you really had to stop and think about who you were as a leader. I'd love to kind of hear about that. And then I'd also love to hear if you had, you know, three things that people should ask themselves to kind of improve their leadership. Yeah. And so the the great thing about growing up at Telstra was we went on a lot, we we got a lot of development. And for a lot of time, for a long time, it it didn't really stick with me. Uh, And that was because I didn't really know myself as a leader. And so this was sort of coming out of finding my voice and feeling okay to be different. Um, I really spent a lot of time understanding, well, what, what do I bring to the team? And so I, I am pretty clear on what I'm good at and what I'm not as well. And it's kind of okay to not be good at everything. And I thought I definitely, that was a big one for me to have to get over because you sort of think as a leader, you need to be good at every single part of that. And you don't, you need to be self-aware. Um, and that self-awareness piece is what I, to, to this very day, <laughs> I still focus on. Self-awareness, what is the impact of me as a leader? Um, good and bad, and the the bad side, how do you constantly try to evolve? Um, yeah, and that and constantly learning. I I think having uh, for my higher purpose now, I mean, there's obviously what I give back to customers and people is to learn. Mm. And I think it's a different place. It puts me in a different place because you have to learn about yourself. You have to there's yeah, the learning could be within as opposed to the what. And so what would be the three things you'd suggest that someone kind of asks if they want to improve their own leadership or their own self-awareness? Yeah, so I think definitely the self-awareness piece. So asking yourself, what is your leadership impact? Um, And going really deep on that, like understanding the good and the bad, because there'll be a shadow and that's okay. Um, But the more you learn about that shadow, the more you can understand it and mitigate the impact. Um, I think the piece around why do you do what you do? So it took me a long while to realise that um, this ambition, it's actually, I actually love leading people and getting people to change and I love making an impact for the customer. So I can go now into like any role that I, you know, as long as it has those two things, I can learn anything. And that why is, that's what keeps me motivated. And I think you need to know your why. Mm. Um, And then the other one, probably the learning so what are you learning, whether it be about yourself? Um, but, yeah, what, what are you learning? If you're not learning to me, you're not developing, you're not growing. 
Mm. I really want to hear about Dubai. Um, you know, I want to hear about working over there and, and you know, maybe things you learnt that, that you'll bring back. Yes. Um, so it was such a, an amazing opportunity to have had. I, it was very hard, really hard. So I, you know, working, I've worked in big organisations. I thought I was great at networking, collaborating, um, but it was just very different. The way you do that in Dubai is not typical um, and you need to really, you need to earn the trust of others first. There is a lot, a lot, and that's probably that's probably normal anywhere, but this real piece around your, they can trust you before they'll work with you and they'll open up and allow you to do things. And I had to work across the organisation, so that building the trust. But the other piece is they're not used to females being in, in senior leadership roles. Mm. So while one-on-one -on -one and personally they were super respectful, on the whole, yeah, my voice was totally, totally silent um, or it wasn't heard. Yeah, there's no eye contact. There's a lot of a lot of that. So, and it was a really difficult one because I come from a place where I headed up the diversity council. It's my job to change this, but it's not wasn't my job to change that in Dubai. And I had you know I grappled with that for a little bit. Um, so my job was to learn how to figure out how to be successful for my team there, in a way that didn't feel like I was compromising me. Um, so it took a lot longer to get things done. Uh, and I had to really, we had, as a team, we had to give up a lot, as in we couldn't take credit for a lot of things that we did, but we had to re-sort of shape how we found success. So a lot about the customer feedback and the data that made us really happy. Sure, another group in the organisation might be high-fiving and celebrating, but that's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so that it was it was really, it was a pretty tough period. And then we were also locked down and, you know, that whole COVID situation while we were there, was pretty tough. Um, so one of the things that I did do, and I've got her to this very day, and I probably will have her till I retire, is I found a coach. Um, so I've had lots of coaches in my time um, and mentors, etc. But I don't think I'd ever really been ready for coaching, mm. um, if that makes sense. But I was at this place where I thought, this is me, like it's in here somewhere that I have to find this, because externally, it's not going to happen for me. Um, and so I found this amazing coach um, back in Australia. So she kind of understood me and she really helped me through really. Um, yeah, I mean, I can talk a little bit about that if you're yeah, interested. What sort, of, what sort of advice? Um, really, really. So how do you really find this inner confidence in yourself? And I think, you know, here I had it. Um, I'd done all this great stuff and all this work on myself, you know, as I developed as a leader. And so it was here. It wasn't really in my heart. And so, you know, someone, if I had a knockback for the 20th time at work, you know, that would really rock me after a certain time. Um, so a lot of it was building up my belief, really, in myself and my ability. Um, and really, um, I mean, it's all in you is how I can say. So untapping that. So how do you get to know yourself? What's the right thing to do and trust yourself in the moment? Like, just really core inner work. Um, and so what sticks out for you as you went through that kind of work? Is there any part in particular that really sort of stands out for you or really resonated and had an impact? Yeah, I think the piece around, there's a really big piece around knowing uh, what you bring 
and giving yourself grace when you might make a mistake or you you learn through through failure and that's a big word but that kind of what do you learn from it how do you reflect and move forward with that learning without um feeling like you've wrecked everything (laughs) and um and that is a big one for me so um I don't have to know everything I don't have to be great at everything but I can I can learn through stumbling sometimes um but the that that real reflective piece. So I think you know you're actually really smart on reflection, and if you take the time to do it, gosh, you can learn so much about what you are good at, where you should focus on, and that I have some practices around journaling and reflecting now that um, are just really helpful. Um, really highlight where I should be focusing on and where I should actually go. And hang on, you know, you've come so far in that. That's amazing. So, um, how often do you journal? I do it every day. Mm. Yeah. So my big learning, if this is helpful to anyone, is habit stacking. So I love exercise and at the end of it I come home and I journal and then it's, you know, those two things are done and I'm I'm good. They go together and you yeah. then you're yeah. health and you're ready to get on with the day. Physical and yeah. mental health and good to go. Yeah. Um, Sal, does that, um, you touched early on around always feeling like you had imposter syndrome. Um, has this process helped with that? Definitely, 100%. Um, so I feel like I'd made such a big a big leap, but I still, like even to this very day, someone the other day said to me, Sal, you sound really corporate. And I was, I was so shocked because I'm like, no one's, like inside, I'm the 23-year-old running this, you know, out of a comfort zone. Um, so, yeah, but this it has helped. The more you get to know yourself and what drives you and what, um, what gives, what triggers you into fear or panic? It's really helped that imposter zone, and I kind of now, um, I kind of feel like everyone probably has it in some way, yep. and it's not just you know this big thing on my head. It's, yep. it's everyone, and um, that has really helped me, and helped me be a better leader as well. Yeah, and and you know from when we um, connected over this that it was one of the reasons for wanting to do this in the first place was to dispel that notion that there's these incredibly successful people out there. Um, They also have that voice that, you know, pops up every now and again and says, who do you think you are? I want to make mention just quickly about the LinkedIn, you know, that message you said you got from the person. I mean, firstly, um, who has has the time to send someone (laughs) a message? Because if you're not battling your own imposter syndrome without someone else coming on. I know, giving it to you. <laughs> um, but but I guess in many ways the, the positive out of that, as you said, was it made you realise at a difficult time for you because you were focused on the fact that you just missed out on something, it gave you the opportunity to realise that this was an incredible and probably yeah. an opportunity that set you up for the next day. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I reflect on that so much, like... I feel like at the time I felt lucky and then grateful, which is probably a very female trait to have. But I had, you know, I was valuable to Telstra and they were giving me a great investment. And, you know, I was a better leader going back into that job after than I would have been if they had promoted me up. So I do, I mean, I feel really fortunate for it, but I also feel like I I earned it as well through, um, through you know, my leadership at Telstra prior to that. Um, but yeah, that it was such a pivotal part of my career. And now digital is part of what I do, um, which is incredible, really, considering the learning that I had. Absolutely. 
Um, so one of the things we spoke about was that we're not we're not seeing enough movement of females into key leadership positions. And some of the conversations I've had in this series, well, one interesting thing is firstly, we are celebrating the fact that in the ASX 200, we've surpassed the 30% target. Um, so I think it was about 33%, the figures I saw come out. So excellent. At board level, there's some traction and it's really happening. At exec level and CEO level, it's not. And the latest CEW report, I think over the last two years, there were 50, this is again in the ASX 200, 50 CEO appointments mm -hmm. and three of them were females. And a lot of that's attributed to females either aren't getting or pursuing early enough in their careers line roles, so PL line roles, or CFO, yeah. which are the kind of roles that you see people springboard into CEO from. What's your experience? I mean, you obviously took on PL roles early. Yeah, early. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what? When I just throw that out there, why do you think females are not in these roles? What's your perspective? Yeah. I mean, I think it I think it's very big, the the ecosystem that drives it. So I think it's very hard, it's it's hard to um, overcome your unconscious bias. We all have it. I certainly have it. And if and men have it, like and most of the time men are in these leadership roles and they are bringing up people through the ranks like them that get along with them um, and that's and I see that to be part of the problem there's this kind of environmental piece so then how do you some of the target stuff I think is is you know really positive because it actually um, challenges that bias to actually look outside of that but then how do you find the people who will put their hand up and it's um, I learned I mean I've I learned this in my career um, I expect, this is later on at Telstra, I expected a promotion of what I was acting in and I got promoted, so I got promoted, but to a very different role. And when I was speaking to um, my manager, he just didn't know that I wanted that role. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a piece around um, female, like we, the role we you are. Out, the role you missed out on. This is a different, yeah. Oh, so the role I was acting, this is another as the executive ah. director of digital. Yep. And I was acting in there doing a great job. I got promoted to an executive director, but just totally different. And they were, it was kind of like this really awkward conversation. Well, we didn't know you wanted that one, you know, and you <laughs> have given you this. Uh, and there's someone else in that now. Um, and I, I reflect on that in this question, though, because there's a piece around, I think, females, um, we are female, we have feminine traits. Um, around we don't ask always ask for what we want whether that be salary or roles and I remember this very early on in my career I knew what all the guys in my team wanted I knew what they wanted next in terms of their career and I never would, would never be part of that conversation and I think men are just good at that they're good at saying I want that and you know there's probably a whole heap of stuff around that you know feeling confident versus females but uh, I feel like there's a there's a little bit around either we have to look out and help for females to plan their careers or or spend a bit more time understanding how we bring the right female skill sets into these roles and take a chance. Like if I think about that digital role for me, that was a massive chance that Gerd took on me. Um, in some ways not, but in some ways totally. And I, it was a good one. You know, it worked for the company, it worked for me. You know, could we take more chances on on females that may not have the traditional experience but are going to learn or bring other amazing attributes and experiences to the roles. 
So it's not an easy one to answer. What have you had some, you know, personal stories yourself of where you've, um, you know, as a leader, you've perhaps looked around at females and, and maybe given them an extra push? Yeah, definitely. And I, um, wrongly or rightly, I feel like this is part of what I should do as a female leader. Um, and a lot, a lot of it. So being at, like, um, I remember this lady, um, she was sort of junior in one of the contact centres and bringing her out to have a, a holistic role across all the global contact centres for Telstra. And she was this amazing talent, totally raw and um, had no idea about her value she brings. Um, and she's gone on to do amazing things. I actually saw her speaking at an event online last week where she would never have had the courage to do that before or or felt like the corporate world was for her. Um, and so that's one. And I, I sort of do feel like it's our role to do that, where we have a leadership impact and we can actually start to change some of that, um, the stats, really. I'd love your opinion on something. I was talking to someone the other day who's um, had a very successful career but would admit themselves, and it's a female, would admit themselves that their leadership style has been very command and control. Um, yeah. I think, you know, there's there's enough evidence now saying that that doesn't necessarily cut it and isn't going to in the future. Yeah. Um, and I can kind of, if I scratch the surface, I can see that there's a bit of a belief there that um, the outcomes she's delivered, the, the high performance outcomes she's delivered have come about because she's been command and control. She's, she's you know, maybe micromanaged and um, yeah. to get outcomes and things like that and may not have been the best person to work with. What's your perspective on that? Yeah, and I um, I really feel for females who were very successful early on. Um, so I had a female lead. I've only had one, um, and they, it wasn't a great experience. But I, it was that, and I and she had been so successful so early in her career, and I feel like she had to adapt um, her leadership style in that way, and maybe didn't have some of the you know, fortunate experience or opportunities I had to kind of learn to be myself um, in the workplace. And I feel like there's a there's a little bit about around that as well. And that's why I feel really compelled that we, sh we almost have a responsibility back to other females in our network to develop them, bring them up, take chances on them, um, mentor them if it can't be in your team, you know, but I feel like there's a, it's a responsibility back to sort of help. And I, I, don't know always some of these females who maybe have that command and control. Um, you know, they were out there fighting for themselves in this male world. And I kind of, I kind of feel like I don't judge that they became like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, you've had a lot of experience in the diversity space as well. What do you think is the sort of key question we should be asking about diversity? Wow. So I think we should be um, focusing on how do we um, how do we get as many voices to the to the table, whether that be to the problem, the question, the team, and if we're focused on that, I think that sort of starts to open up a lot of other things. So differences, whether it be gender, race, um, you name it, and it also then makes you also focus on how do you hear their voice? Because it's one thing having them in the team, but then how do you enable that voice? And I think if we're just really passionate that 
we have to get so many minds and different opinions on a problem, or, you know, whatever it may be, that starts to change the thinking about how you would do that. And my final question, Sal, is from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership look like and do you think it needs to change? Um, so I think it is about being 100% yourself. Mm. So that total human leader um, wearing pink, if you want to, um, vulnerable, vulnerability, so... Um, it's okay to be vulnerable because that's you in that moment and just bringing that um, as well as courage. And I I really reflect on that word because it, sometimes I think, ah, just be a little bit more courageous, you know, that's it's not always that easy. But if you bring those two things together, that total human leadership and it's okay to be female in whatever way that turns up on the day, and you're courageous in it, um, you know, so you speak up and you have a go or put your hand up. I think that that is what it is to me. And it's okay to show emotion. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And I've learned that. Um, well, so I, I have a, like when I'm angry, I have a really big justice muscle somewhere in me. When I'm angry for me or for my team, that, that anger comes out in tears for me. Mm. Uh, and that used to mortify me, totally mortify me when I was younger, uh, you know, to the point where I'd want to resign the next day rather than go back to work. <laughs> um, but while it doesn't happen as much anymore, I'm actually okay with it now. And I'm, I got okay with it because um, it's part of me. So, you know, you get all this good stuff with me and yeah, you might get a tough conversation that has tears, yep. but you're getting this whole package and I can't really, I'm not going to compartmentalise myself anymore and um, to be the best leader I can be is to turn up all me and sometimes there might be tears. <laughs> That's so beautiful. So there's one Sally these days. Yeah. Is she still at nightclubs with karaoke? <laughs> no. Oh, my gosh, I would love to be out having enough sleep that I could do that. <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> Maybe one day. She will return. So yes, yeah, uh, Sally. It's um, I'm so thrilled to have you as part of the conversation. It's fabulous to have you back in Australia, and um, I can't thank you enough for just being so yourself um, and open and vulnerable and willing to share all of those experiences. I know people will get so much out of it. Thank you. Thank you. It's been really great. Thanks, Melissa. Hello there. If you're enjoying the podcast and would love to accelerate your own growth and leadership, then head to bravefeminineleadership.com forward slash brave tips for your gift from me, where I've captured all of the amazing tips and themes that came out of these conversations. I hope they help you feel your brave rising.